time with God. I will hide my faith from my co-workers. This year, I will spend more and tithe less. I will read the Bible as little as possible. I will remain silent when I know I should speak. This year. This year. This year. I will not share my faith with my best friend. I will shirk leadership responsibilities every chance I get. I will continue to justify my bad behavior. And give God my leftovers. This year. This year. This year, I will let the busyness of life squeeze God out. So we're going to get started because we're like way, way behind tonight. So um, actually kind of talked, started last week. We talked about really it's the beginning of a new year. You had nine days into it last week. We talked about making a new commitment of really doing better. And we talked about the fact that um, if you're really doing nothing, I want you to understand that you have one foot in the grave. There's a statement that said a saying that people use when the people get older or if someone's sick and they say that someone's close to dying, they say they have one foot in the grave. But I want you to understand spiritually that if you do nothing with yourself you already have one foot in the grave and that's where you're headed and i really want you to get that i want you to understand that if you make no choice basically where you are is just waiting for the final curtain call and uh you're already there you're already in the grave i spoke to you actually from ephesians 5:14, which uh says from it it says wake up from your sleep climb out of your coffins and christ will show you the light and really what I want you to understand is that the choices that you make today are going to have an effect on your life and your destiny. And they have repercussions. And I think that we forget on a daily basis the choices that we make, how much it can really affect us and the people around us. And uh, it really is a choice that's up to you. You have to make that choice. I'm trying to explain to you. I, I've tried for as many years as I've done youth ministry, which is going on six years, to make you understand that you own your faith personally no one can help you get there. No one can lead you. No one can push you. It has to be a choice that you make on your own. And it has to be something that you choose every single day. Um, God tells us what we have to do is we really have to wake up spiritually. There's a spiritual war out there. There's a spiritual battle that goes on at all times, but it's just sometimes we're just not aware of it. We're not paying attention. And uh, what he actually says is because of the spiritual war, we have to wake up. We have to start getting in the battle. We have to climb out. Because where our destinies right now are is just the grave. Um, it actually goes on to say in, in Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 15, it says, This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand or perform. It is not up in heaven so distant that you must ask who will go to heaven and bring it down so we can hear and obey it. Well, we talked last week, I told you, there's another scripture verse that talks about the fact that Jesus is the one who went up and then climbed back down and then went back up again. He's the one who did everything. He paid the cost for you. Cassie talked about it in her prayer. Thank you for the blood. It's his sacrifice dying in place for you that gives you the opportunity really to get out of that grave. But it's your choice whether or not you really want to accept it. He did it for you. He paid the price. But it's whether or not you personally want to accept it and you want to say, yes, that you are my Savior, Jesus. The message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen today. I'm giving you a choice between prosperity, prosperity and disaster, between life and death. Oh, that you would choose life, that you and your descendants might live. I want you to understand one very, very important thing. The choices you make right now will affect not only your destiny, but your descendants. 
the choices that you make will have all the difference of whether or not your children someday may follow this or not. I think sometimes you guys really like lose the idea of thinking that um, you have such a future plan for you. And God has a future plan for you. You have children that you're going to someday have. If you get things in order, if you get things in place the way they should, you understand you're going to be a better example someday for the people um, that you're going to be trying to lead, your own children. God's word tells us choose life. It doesn't go on. It doesn't tell us to choose death because that choice has already been made. If we don't move, if we don't do anything at all, we've already chosen death. I tell you all that really just repeat what I spoke to you last week about. I, I, I tried to get you to understand that if we really do nothing, if you're not even aware, that that's where you're at. You know, all this one foot in the grave business is a lot of people don't even realize that they're that close, that they really just are, like I said last week, one breath away, one heartbeat away, one drunk driver away from death and, and really a destiny of living in hell because they're not serving God. But what I want to talk to you about tonight is really about those people who really are aware, who get it somewhat, who understand that there's a choice to be made but really aren't making it, and uh, really are the people who have one foot in the grave, but they're not really taking this whole matter seriously. They're kind of thinking that they have all the time in the world to keep crawling out when they want to, when they want to do it. And those are those people that are really the fence straddlers. And I want to talk to you all about fence straddlers tonight because I'm going to tell you, I will tell you, um, my heart, they suck. They suck. I hate a fence straddler. There's nothing worse um, than somebody who actually um, says they believe something and doesn't live it. Um, fence trailers are an interesting bunch because the one thing I've noticed about them after doing ministry for about six years doing with, dealing with youth is they are so uncomfortable because when they're around Christians, they're uncomfortable because they have too much of the world in them. But when they're around their friends, they're a little bit too uncomfortable because they have a little bit of wanting to be a Christian. So they just can't make a decision on what they want to do. And they really just do nothing, nothing. They just exist. They're never comfortable. And I want you to understand the reason why they're not comfortable is really God's plan. God never intended for a person who was a believer to be in an area of indecision for very long. I think God gives us an opportunity to make that decision and start doing something with it. He doesn't tell us to make the decision and think that we can be fence straddlers for very long. His plan is to move you on or let you go. That's what his real choice is, and that's what people have to understand. If you have that one foot in the grave, you have to either make that choice you're going to do something with your faith and you're going to own it and you're going to start climbing out or the other alternative is that he lets you go. You know, there's these so-called believers who are really truly fence sitters and they're the type of people that will sit there and say that God is so good, that he's kind, that he's loving and he's just going to have all the time, I'm going to have all the time, he's going to wait for me to wake up. He's going to wait for me to start my climb and I just want you to understand to that, that's a lie. That is a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from Satan himself. That's not true. He is not going to give you all the time in the world to, to climb out. The decision needs to be made, and at that point, you really have to start separating yourself from a lifestyle of following the world. That's what it is. It's a choice. And uh, the one thing that God's word continually says from the start to the end is your choices will affect everything that is your destiny. Satan wants us to think that we have all this luxury of all this time. 
And we're not promised it. Like I said, we're not promised that opportunity. We have to choose for ourselves what is going to be our path. If it's going to be life or if it is going to be death. You know, the thing is you can choose not to wake up and get climbing. But you really have to understand that you can't deceive yourself into believing that you can still have one foot in the grave while you're doing it. I mean, that you don't have one foot in the grave. You do have one foot in the grave. You cannot think that you don't. You can't think that you have all this opportunity to just play games and that you're going to be okay. You know, if that was the case, if all of us could do that, if all of us could just accept Jesus and never do something with it, I mean, none of us would have to get moving, would we? We could all just be like lazy and lackadaisical and do nothing with our faith. I mean, we could just sit back, chill out, and then do what a lot of the other part of the world does and the church does, grow lukewarm. That's not God's plan. God's plan is for us to make a decision and then start to live it. It's not to just sit back and just wait. You know, the one thing with God's word that says, it says um, that he despises being lukewarm. And I want you to understand that he will tell us that we cannot blow hot one minute and then the next time, next minute, blow cold. And so the thing is, what I'm saying with that is you can't sit there and sit there and say when you're around the sp- your, your spiritual friends that, you know, oh, praise Jesus, oh, I believe in him, and I do all these different things, and, and really just worship and say all these different things, but then in the next breath say hurtful things about your faith or, or maybe your fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, and all that in the next second, and then think that you're not growing lukewarm because you are. I want you to understand, hot plus cold equals lukewarm you can't do both out of the same mouth same thing as what god's word says the holy and the profane we do both out of our mouths he also says you cannot do one thing and then be cold the next and then not grow lukewarm out of it you will there's so many people out there i mean you 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 run your bath water what do you do you turn on full cold no you turn on the hot completely no you had to find that right temperature right that's what you have to for most of the time you look for a little bit warmer than lukewarm but you know what? We, we tend to look for that lukewarm in our lives. I don't know what it is about us. There are these people who speak all these strong words and such about God and his convictions. But when these people get alone or they hang out with certain people in their lives, they totally act different. I don't want us to be different like that. Jesus actually called those people in God's word. He called them hypocrites. And what it was actually in that time, and we use that word today, um, that people are hypocrites, that we call them, it's a liar. It's someone that says something they are, and they truly aren't. But actually, in old times, what it was, when you were an actor, you were called a hypocrite, because a hypocrite was basically someone who acted like they were something else. And uh, it's just like now today, we got all these celebrities, these movie stars, we call them actors, and truly, in the old times, what they were called was hypocrites. And probably the majority of them still are <laughs> hypocrites. So... Uh, thing is god actually tells us to quit acting and just start being start being what we say we are you know i don't know why we play games so many times but we just constantly play games i can tell you in all these years that if people come in and come out of this ministry it, it it saddens you because you just see people really acting like they want to do something and before long you're like where are they they're gone they're gone and it's because while they were here, they were setting up themselves to make them look really good, which don't care at all about impressing me. I could care less. Do I want you to make it? Absolutely. But don't ever worry about impressing people or man. It does no good. Be concerned about 
please in God, who's the one who died for you. That's what's important. I really think the reason why there are so many hypocrites in the church is because people choose on this particular day when a message speaks to their heart or, or the worship's just right or something happened. They, they're like, yes, I make this decision, God. I, I want to follow you. I put you first. And they think that that one time that they did that is going to be enough. And I want you to understand it's not enough because it is actually a choice that you have to make every single morning when you get up. You can't just do it once and think that's going to work. It has to be a conscious thought. In the morning when you get up, I'm going to serve God today. I'm going to read God's word today. I'm going to do what God wants of me today. That's what it's about. The problem is we, we put this big, huge band-aid of salvation experience over top of our lives, and we think it's going to be enough when it actually has to be something that we do every single day. It has to be that way. It has to be an every single day battle. You have to start asking yourself what you're more concerned with. If you're more concerned about God's will or if you're more concerned with your own happiness. Are you more concerned with God's timing or are you going to be more concerned with your own timing? Are you going to be more concerned with being loved by others? Or if you're going to be more concerned with holding fast to what your convictions are and what you really truly believe? Are you going to be more concerned with keeping up with your friends Or you can actually do something to have your friends keep up with you. That's what the choice is every day. Life is full of choices. I mean, if I think back of all the different things that I've done, stupid choices, good choices, you know, all those different things. I mean, there's a billion, a myriad of choices that I made that made me who I am today, good and bad. It's why I'm like I am today. Every single day will bring us new challenges and decisions that we have to make. Every day is a new day. Thank God for that, because there's days we can't wait to get rid of it, aren't there? We have a bad day, and we're like, thank God for the night, and tomorrow's a fresh day. We can start all over again. But every day we have to choose to live for God. We have to choose to live by the standards that he lays down in the Holy Bible. He gave us commandments. He told us to follow them. Those are just the barest of necessities, and we can't even follow ten. There was a lot more that we used to have to follow because of the freedom that God gave us. Now we cheapen it, and we don't even try to follow the ten. We please ourselves more than we ever worry about pleasing God. What happened in the old days, in Judges 21-25, it says people did what seemed right in their own eyes. I think if you look at what the world's going through today, if you look at where society is, and if you can look at what... People concern themselves with celebrity, and, and they get so wrapped up in, in uh, I'm a, I love politics, but they get so wrapped up in it, that's all that they think about, and they, they you know, world affairs, I mean, which we need to be concerned with, but they don't even stop and think about life, and who they are, and what choices they made, and really what Jesus did for them. They don't even stop and think about that. I really think the most horrible part of all this whole, like, fence-sitting and, and lukewarm attitude that people have is is that church is really done in that way today you know churches have started to do what seems right in their own eyes instead of really what is right in god's eyes and uh, that's what's become normal it's normal i think that's what's sad is you hear somebody's a christian and you're like well where do you go because you hear all these different things about different denominations and what they accept and what they will preach and say is okay. And God had a standard and we're not supposed to deviate. We say that we're believers in Christ. Well, Christ is God's word. He says, I am the word of God. 
if we say that, then why are these churches not preaching what Jesus says? They're going off and doing their own things. You know, it, it's, it's just become crazy. Um, what happened is they think that a lukewarm church is a church that's going to get them to heaven, and it will not. You know, and it's sad because there's a lot of people that are really being lied to. They're parts of, part of a denomination that's telling them that it's okay, that you can act this way, you can be this way, and that you can actually stand with one foot in the grave and you're still going to make it to heaven. And it is a lie. It is an absolute lie. And I really think what's sad is fence straddlers love that lie. They love it. They find comfort in it because it doesn't convict them, it doesn't challenge them, and it never causes them to move and do anything for God whatsoever. And it definitely doesn't cause them to be a target and do anything to raise their family and friends and loved ones out of that grave either. And it's just a really lazy, lazy lifestyle to live. I want to read to you, read you something I thought was just amazing. It says here, it says, They were not cold, but they were not hot. They were not infidels, yet they were not earnest believers. They did not oppose the gospel, neither did they defend it. They were not working mischief, neither were they doing any great good. They were not dis- disreputable in moral character, but they were not distinguished for holiness. They were not irreligious, but they were not enthusiastic in their piety, nor eminent for their zeal. They were what the world calls moderates. They were of the broad church school. They were neither bigots nor Puritans. They were pu- prudent and avoided f- fanaticism, respectable and averse to excitement. Good things were maintained among them, but they did not make too much of them. They had prayer meetings, but there were few present, for they liked quiet evenings at home. When more attended the meetings, they were still very dull, for they did their praying very deliberately and were very afraid to be too excited. They were content to have all the things done decently and in order, but vigor and zeal they considered to be quite vulgar. Some churches have schools, Bible classes, preaching rooms, and all sorts of agencies, but they might as well be without them, for no energy is displayed and no good comes from them. They have deacons and elders who are excellent pillars of the church, if the chief quality of pillars is to stand still and exhibit no emotion or emotion. They have ministers who may be the angels of the churches, but if so, they have their wings closely clipped, for they do not fly very far in preaching the everlasting gospel. And they certainly are not in the flames of fire. In such communities, everything is done in a half-hearted, listless, dead and alive way as if it didn't matter much whether it was done or not. It makes one's flesh creep to see how sluggishly they move. I long for a knife to cut their red tape to pieces and for a whip to lay about their shoulders to make them bestir themselves. Things are respectively, respectably done. The rich families are not offended. The skeptical party is concili- conciliated and the good people are not quite alienated. Things are just made pleasant all around. They are not so cold as to abandon their work or to give up their meetings for prayer or to reject the gospel, because if they did so, then they would be convinced of their error and brought to repentance. But on the other hand, they are neither hot for the truth nor hot for conversions, nor hot for holiness. They are not fiery enough to burn the stubble of sin nor zealous enough to make Satan angry, not fervent enough to make a living sacrifice of themselves upon the altar of their God. They are neither hot nor cold. Men are less likely to repent when they're in the middle passage between hot and cold than if they were if they were the worst extremes of sin. If they were like Saul of Tarsus, enemies of God, they might be converted. But if they're like Gamaliel, they are neither opposed nor favoring. They will probably remain as they are until they die. There is no more hope of warming the cold 
there's more hope of warming the cold than there is the lukewarm. Alas, the state of lukewarmness is so congenial with human nature that it's hard to fetch men from it. Cold makes us shiver. Great heat causes us pain. But a tepid bath is comfortable itself. Such a temperature suits human nature. The world is always at peace with a lukewarm church, and such a church is always pleased with itself. Not too worldly. No, we have our limits. There are certain amusements which, of course, a Christian must give up, but we will go quite up to the line. For why are we so miserable? We are not to be so greedy as to be called miserly, but we will give as little as we can to the cause. We will not be altogether absent for the house of God, but we will go as seldom as we can. We will not altogether forsake the poor people whom, to whom we belong, we will, but we will also go to the world's um, church so as to get admission into better society and to find fashionable friends for our children. Do I speak strongly? Not as strongly as my master, because he says, I will spew thee out of my, my mouth if you're lukewarm. This is an interesting thing, because I want you to know when this was written. This is from Charles Spurgeon. It was written July 26, 1874. 1874. Are churches any different today? No. It's like it could be taken from today. Things haven't changed. People are just as lukewarm as they ever were. It's sad to think that all this time that people have really probably just grown more cold, more lukewarm. I think it's a shame when he says that churches are doing this then. No wonder why we have what we have now. We have the product of how many years of churches doing nothing for God and then wondering why nothing's happening, why there's no one fighting the battle, no one's doing any work. We see why. Thank God for people like Charles Spurgeon who actually might have woke a few people up. I pray that's what we do here. I pray that's what you guys all get in your hearts and you go home and you tell your family and friends and you say, no, we're not going to do things that way. We're not going to do church that way no more. That's not the way we're going to do it. We need to do things different. I want you to understand different lands have different gods. Obviously, the Arabs in the Middle East, you know, they have Allah. East Indians serve the gods of Hinduism. Chinese serve a well-fed Buddha. There's always the chubby little Buddha. American Indians worship the gods of wind, fire, rocks, and rain. And in the Western world or the Americas, supposedly we are a what? A Christian nation. Are we? I really wonder. Here there's these beautifully, architecturally gorgeous churches just about everywhere you look. There's these modern church meeting halls everywhere you look. People that, you know, these buildings will seat tens of thousands of people. These, these auditoriums that pull people in. You know, there's these big churches, small churches, just right churches. Everybody's looking for just the right one. You know, you don't have to really, really travel that far to come up with a church in America. You could see them most anywhere. Obviously, some of them look really like mainstream, don't look like churches. They're centers. Some have steeples and look very, very traditional. Some sing hymns, old hymns. Some sing these new worship songs. And to the outside looking in, we look like we're a godly nation. We look like we're a Christ-centered nation. You know, you can sing, you can... Listen to choirs, you can listen to preachers, you can go to confessionals, you can receive Holy Communion, you can kneel, you can do all these different things to God. But I want you to understand that none of those things will make you a Christian. None of them will make you a Christian. It's not going to church and playing church. It's not going to work that way. It's instead the choice that each of us are going to make, like I said, that's every single day that's going to make the difference, that's going to make God real. 
Our choice that God tells us to make is about what we really love. I think we need to really examine what it is that we love. I'm not saying that I, I don't understand where you're at. Maybe it's not something you're thinking about that, you know, I, I'm young and I, I just want to live my life. But you understand, I try to get through your heads that so many people were called to do ministry when they were 13, 14, 15. That's when they're called. That's when the opportunities are given to them. If you are so worried and concerned with your life right now, you're going to miss your opportunity. Because what happens is most of the time by your 18, 19, you grow cold and disillusioned with the world when all you had to do was hold God's hand and he would have helped you through. But instead you make poor choices and you grow farther and farther and farther away from God. We are told that we live in this world, but we're not really supposed to love it. God tells us, you're part of it, but don't fall in love with it. Because God's word says that this is not our home. We live here now, but if you're a Christian, that you actually have your home in heaven. So I really want to ask you a question. There's, there's a question that most people are asked if they're into the romantic thoughts. Do you believe that you can love two people at the same time? Truly love two people at the exact same time? With as much excitement and maybe fervor as you do with one. See, I, I really have a hard time with that because I think what happens is um, you're going to probably give more to one than the other. You're probably going to find yourself, if you've ever watched The Bachelor, <laughs> what he says when he's dating the one, he says he's thinking about the other. You know, he's with one, he's thinking about the other. He's with the other one, he's thinking about the other one. It's like, you know what, I don't, God never intended us to, to date that way and God never wanted him to be loved that way either. We're not supposed to love the world so much that we really give him our second best. We're supposed to be giving him our first and our best and the ultimate. We're supposed to love him with all of our heart, strength, and mind. Fence straddlers, too preoccupied with their own life and loves than to care about him. Too much in love with the world. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. I really think that's a pretty straightforward comment. But I really, truly do believe that. I really think that's true. What you give your time to, you're going to find is what's going to grow. You know, if I was sitting there giving all my time and effort and energy to help this one plant, taking it every single day and setting it by the, the sunny window and making sure it had water and, and truly even just even talking to it, who knows if it works? I don't know. I love gardening. I talk to my plants, but I don't know if that's what makes them grow. I don't know. Um... It works with my kitty cat, but I tell her I love her. It does make her grow bigger. <laughs> She's getting fatter every day. Um, but, you know, the thing is, if what we give our attention to is what's going to grow in our lives. If I spent so much time on this one plant doing this, but left the other one in the dark and didn't give any ener- you know, time and effort and energy to it and didn't water it and, and didn't put it in the sun and didn't take care of it and cursed it, <laughs> chances are which one's going to grow is the one that I'm giving some energy to. You know? I really truly believe that. First John two fifteen through 17 says, Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. So you can't play both sides. It's this playing church mentality again that you see has happened all these different years. People saying that they love God, that they're a Christian, but yet you see no change in their life and they're still worried about having the best of cars, the best of houses, and, and having 
men and women falling all over themselves and they're sleeping around and they're doing all these different things, it proves that they do not have the Father in them. For the world offers only lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything that we see, and pride in our possessions. These are not from the Father. They are from this evil world. And this world is fading away along with everything that it craves. But if you do the will of God, you will live forever. Pastor says all the time, all the time you'll hear him say, there was once a time that you didn't exist, but that time will never come again. You have an opportunity to make a decision to spend your eternity, the days forever, in heaven. Or you have a choice to do nothing, keep that one foot in the grave, and go to hell. That's really what it comes down to. It's pretty black and white. It really is. It's pretty clear what he wants. I think that you have to um, ask, start asking yourself what really matters to you in your life. Where are you at? I, I'm so tired of these young people that sit there and say, well, I'm young. I'm not, you know, I'm not really concerned. It's like you're not promised tomorrow either. Just because you're 14, 15 doesn't mean that you can live forever. I mean, how many people here can say that they've known somebody who's died under the age of 18? Yeah. So why do we lie to ourselves and say we have all the time in the world? I, I know it sounds really depressing, the thought of thinking that someone could die and, and this whole idea of death. But like I said, God actually talks about death and dying in your destiny. He makes a point to talk about it in the Bible a lot because we're supposed to think about it. We are supposed to think about how we live on this earth and how it is we're going to die and where we're going to end up later. It's a choice that all of us have to make. So you have to start asking yourself what it is that you think about. What is it in your life that you cannot seem to get a handle on? No matter how hard you try, you can't seem to take control of this one aspect of your life. Or, you know, What is it in your life that you give more time to than you do God? Sports, school. Sometimes school can be a trap. I mean, I hate to say it to you because if somebody might use that as an excuse to think, okay, I'm not going to put much effort in my schooling for God. But, you know, truly, some people can hold up their ideal of, of grades, and it becomes almost an idol to them that they have to have straight A's, and if they don't spend the time doing that, they're, they're not happy with themselves. And they'll, they'll worry about that, but they'll put no effort into their relationship with God. You know, what concerns you more, your physical body or your spiritual body? If you spend more time working out on your physical body, worrying about your health, worrying about this, but yet you neglect your spiritual self, what good is it? That spiritual body is going to be what decides where you go. Your physical body is going to be here until Jesus comes back someday and you get it back. But still, he's going to give us a new one. He's going to transform it. Not saying that you should be unhealthy. All of us need to be healthy. But in your day, how much time are you spending? Are you working out? Are you reading? Are you you're riding your bike? You're doing all these different things, but yet you don't read God's word or you don't do this or you, know, you don't spend time in prayer. That's what you need to think about. Are you more concerned about your money? Are you more concerned about your heart and what your mind is all about? You know, There's a whole lot of people that are very concerned with building their bank accounts. You know, They just want that money, that security in the bank but they don't think about the people that they are and what they represent, who Christ is in their lives. You know, are, are you really worried about your so-called friends? Or are you more concerned about your one true friend? Jesus is the one who'll never turn his back on you. I'm going to tell you, your friends, they can be very close. Very, very few in your life are going to be those friends that will last forever. 
A lot of people are very fair-weather friends. That means while things are good, they're your friends. Things start looking bad, they're running. They're nowhere near you. You start talking about Jesus, they ditch you. Tell you, shut up. I don't want to hear about this goody-goody stuff. I don't want to hear about it. It's like, you know what? Those are your friends. Better be concerned. Because they are going to drag you down. Very rarely will you pull them up. And if you are going to pull them up, that means you better get talking about it. Because there's a whole lot of people that I've heard, I've heard, will talk bad. Their friends will talk bad about things that they love, their faith, the ministry, their church, and they don't defend it. I'm going to tell you, no one's going to sit there and talk bad about. There's a couple things in my life that no one's going to talk bad about in front of me. No one's going to talk bad about Jesus in front of me. No one's going to talk bad about CYM because you know what? I give my life to this ministry. I love it with all my heart. My church, my pastor, the people that I do ministry with, my husband, my kids. I'm going to tell you, those are the things that are going to matter to me. My cat. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, you better treat things right. I'm going to tell you, you, you've got to defend the things that you love. What are you defending? If you say you love Jesus, you better be his defender. Because honestly, there was, there's nothing I'm going to take when someone sits there and talks about, oh, it's a lie or this or that. or They're, they're lying and ch- telling people that you can get to heaven by doing things that are untrue. I, believe me, I'm going to stop them and say that's not right. I'm not going to let them sit there and tell me these things. You know, I think you have to ask yourself, are you a fence trailer and do you not even know that you are? Have you ever stopped to think about the choices that you're making? Are you saying you believe it but then don't do it? Because if you are doing that, you are a fence trailer. You are probably lukewarm. You're not doing the things that God would want. You have to choose this day who you're going to serve. It has to be your choice every single day. You know, it, people make it so difficult. I, I do love Jesus, but you know what? You grow to love Jesus more and more every day. I really believe what happens is he starts to show that he's so real and you can't help but love him more. But you know what? You can have simple faith. He says faith as small as a mustard seed. That's what he says, tiniest little thing. If you just have faith that you believe that he's going to see you through, he'll start to show you more and more. And if you start to say, God, I doubt. Can you help me? Can you show me that you're real? He'll start to show you that he's real every day. That's what it's all about. I want you to understand that today you have a choice to make the toughest and the easiest decision you will ever make. Tough because, you know what, it's going to take some real work. God's word says count the costs. Don't go into this whole salvation experience thinking it's going to be easy because it's not. It's not. Anybody that served God any bit of length of time understands that there is a battle that comes with it. It's not for the weak at all. And I really want you to understand, you know what? Please, dear God, let me explain something to you, and please, dear God, let it happen. You are going to lose some friends when you start to make that decision to serve God. You are going to lose friends and you know what? Thank God, because most of them are bad baggage. Probably the ones you needed a ditch. Even though, you know what, it hurts to be unliked. No one likes it. No one wants to walk around in this world being unlikable and, and having people treat them badly. We all want to be loved and appreciated and, and, you know, told we're great. But you know what? True maturity comes when you really can just stand up for what you believe and you don't care what some friend tells you is wrong about you. But I want you to understand it's easy because it's the simplest thing you can do is just ask for forgiveness from Jesus. All you have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me of what I've done. 
up to this point, I ask for forgiveness. And God, I am going to do better. I'm going to repent. That means I'm going to go the opposite way. If sin is this way, I'm going to start going this way. I'm going to start making choices not to fall in those same patterns again. And really just say that I'm going to put God in control. It's easy. It's very simple. It says that the, the message of Christ is so easy that children can understand it. And they do. Out of the mouths of babes, you'll hear the most wonderful things that people will say, kids will say about, about Jesus. But you know, the thing is, that simple thing can actually divert your destiny. I mean, it's such a simple thing, but it has life-altering implications. It's so simple, but so amazing. Because it can completely change what we thought was going to happen in our lives. Whereas you had one foot in the grave, you know what? All of a sudden, you're climbing out. And then God starts to show you. Christ starts to show you. He starts to shine his light in areas of your life to give you help, to give you hope, and to give you joy. Joy is an amazing thing. It's not happiness. Happiness is fleeting. It comes and goes, whether or not of our emotions, if we've had a good day or a bad day. Girls, if we're involved with all these hormones or whatever happens. Guys, whether or not your team won. You know, that's happiness. Joy is when it's deeper. He gives us joy. You have to understand that you cannot be happy and satisfied just being churched. Churched isn't going to work. It didn't work in 1874, and it doesn't work in 2008. It doesn't work. Church in itself will not save you. It don't ca- I don't care if you come here every single week. If you do nothing with it, it's not going to make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. If you go every single Sunday to this church, any church, I don't care what church, if you're doing nothing with your faith the other six days of the week, it has done nothing. Nothing. Zero. You're back to square one. What happens a lot of times is that people think, okay, I, I went to church. I, I, I covered those things. Now on to the next week. That's not how it works. That's not the message of Christ. That's what church taught you. Or that's what somebody who other was a, another believer told you, which was a lie. You have to ask yourself if you're going to be a part-time Christian with a full-time occupation as a devil as your employer. First one to go to church and pray, but the first one to quickly head back to the feeding trough with the other swine that's in the world. Because that's what the God's word says. It says we're swine. When we don't understand, he even says, he says, I'm not going to cast my pearls before a swine. The ones that aren't going to get it, that ones aren't going to understand it. You know, the other swine in the world, the other pigs, might be fooled by that kind of Christianity. And uh, the church might be fooled, you know, fooled by what you do or, you know, your spiritual leaders even, the people you go to church with, your parents, your teachers, us might be fooled by it. But you really have to get down in your heart that Jesus is never fooled by it. He says, you're just lukewarm. And he says, spewing you out, don't want you. There's an old T-shirt that I actually had. I always thought it was really awesome. It's a T-shirt that says, don't make Jesus throw up. And it's like the truth. Don't make Jesus throw up. Do something with your faith. Don't be fake. And I think there's so many people that are out there that are fake. So many people out there who can't make decisions for themselves. You know, there's those people that live for those gray areas in their life, and they never want to think that there's any absolutes. You know, there, there's no real decisions that we need to make. And I want you to understand that God is all about the black and white. He's all about the right and the wrong, the good and the evil, the light and the dark, the wheat and the tares, the sheep 
and the goats, the gold and the dross, and the friends and the enemies. Everything is opposite. See how he puts it? There's no gray area in that. It's a way of, of living that he wants us to live in purity. If you are not a friend of God, I want you to understand, you are his enemy. You're his enemy. That's what God's word says. If you're not doing his will, you're his enemy. If you aren't working for him, you are working against him. Don't kid yourself. I really pray with all my heart that CYM is a place that there's no fence sitters can just be here from week to week to week. And obviously, I think that's true. I think it happens. I think that's why you see some people come and we see some people go. Because I really do think that we have a standard that we set that we really want people to understand that church can't be done the same way over and over again. Youth ministries, we always say we don't like to call it a youth group because you know what? Youth groups are more about playing games, most of the time with boys and girls sitting on each other's laps. And they do all the pseudo-sexual garbage that is just weird. I don't understand it. They play games. They don't talk about God's word. They don't talk about truth. They don't worship. They don't teach you to have weapons to fight the battle. And see, CYM has always said we were going to do it different. Six years ago when we started, we said we're going to do it different. We're going to raise up leaders, generation of leaders. That's what the whole thing. Chosen youth ministries is because you are a chosen people. Chosen to do battle is what we believe. And that's what I really want you to grasp and, and get. The thing with fence sitters is they're stuck. They're absolutely stuck. You ever see somebody, they're, they're fencers, they can't get out of either way. They can't move because their feet are in the grave and they aren't walking and they're not climbing, they're doing nothing. You have to quit playing church. It hasn't moved you or your family entered closer to God yet by being a fence sitter or being lukewarm. I will tell you, don't ever give me a line of bull Tell me and that your family goes to church and yet they do all these other things in their lives, but yet, you know, they're, they're really close to God and all this, like, baloney. Baloney. I, I've read God's word too many years to know that that's not true. That's not true. I'm going to actually believe God's word over you on that one. Because you know what? It's, you can't. You can't mix them both. He has a, a God that cannot lie and he is a God that believes in purity and right thinking. And he doesn't let all that garbage junk it up. It doesn't work that way. What happens to the lukewarm before Jesus comes back? What ends up happening is they make a decision, finally. I want you to understand when Jesus does finally come back, because that's the whole point that we have to understand. We're living for the point when Jesus comes back, because all this is great that Jesus died for us, he went to heaven. He sent for us. He, he left for us a counselor, which is the Holy Spirit, that we can call upon for help. But the thing we have to understand and we have to remember is that he says he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's coming back for those that are faithful. Those are who are hot for him. The thing is, he wants us to really grow warm. That's what it's all about. Jesus says that uh, when he, before he comes again, the fence, fence straddlers are going to disappear. There's not going to be any, no, no more middle-of-the-road thinking. You know, either you're going to be 100% solid for God and your relationship with him, or you are going to go completely cold and lose interest whatsoever in serving him. That's what's going to happen. And I really think sometimes that we need to understand that sometimes the truth, when it's spoken kind of makes us mad, kind of frustrates us, gets us angry. I can't tell you how many times I've watched people sit in the uh, 
the audience of CYM and I said something, they're like, they didn't like it. It's like, you know what? I'm not here to say things that you like. I'm really not. I'm here to speak God's truth. And it's, it's up to you whether or not you want to believe it. It's completely up to you. Sometimes you're going to get mad and it's going to get really frustrate you and you're going to get mad and you're going to get shake, shooken up. But you know what God's word actually says that, that shaken up that we're going to get is what's going to make you either make the decision. It's going to make us mad, shake us up, or it's going to make us grow, just lose interest and quit coming. I really want you to understand that consider this a small earthquake. I, I'm serious about following God. I have no patience watching people week in and week out do nothing with their faith. I really do. I, I want this to be a generation that gets it. That's why we really have a strict rule about, like, people messing around and stuff like that. I don't like it because, you know what, you may be not here for the right reasons, but other people around you might be. And you distract them from the things that what God wants to teach them on a daily basis. Do we want people who are new? Yes. We want you to get it. We want you to grasp it. We want you to understand what Jesus did for you. But we also want you to come in with a willingness to learn, not a willingness to just come in and distract and cause problems. Church isn't done that way if you're really serving God. Down here, we try not to do that. We're definitely not going to do it up here. Definitely not going to do it up here. There's a whole lot of people in churches that out there are performing good works to try to get to heaven. They're all about trying to do, do right, help people and do this. And you know what? That's all wonderful because God says that those things are going to accompany with us. When we've changed our hearts, we're going to perform and do things for God because we love him. Unfortunately, what's happening a lot of times in church, people that are playing church, is they do all these good things for people, but they really don't have the love of Christ in them. They don't do them because they really love Christ or because they really want to serve God and, and, and do things right. They do it because they think it's how you earn heaven. You cannot earn heaven. You cannot earn it. It's, it can't be something you do just because you, you think you're helping somebody It's going to get you there. It doesn't work that way. All it is is a simple belief. Either you believe that Jesus died for your sins and you are going to put him first and you're going to ask for forgiveness, or you're not. But doing things for people isn't going to make you grow closer to God. I mean, it's not. You know, there's people that have done things for people for years and years and years, and they're no closer to God than they were before they started. It's time to quit the fence sitting. It's really time for you to decide what side of the fence you're going to be on and really start doing something. Cameron said there was a really cool story. I, I don't have the story, but I do want you to stop and think about the fact that the fence, when a fence sits on your property, we just put a new fence up in our yard, and in our fence where we put it, the thing that we have to understand about the fence is the fence is never put on your property line where it's yours and the neighbor's. It always has to be set back and on your property farther. That way, when it comes time for you to maintain the fence, you're actually still walking on your property to paint it and weed whack it and mow it and all that different stuff. You really are supposed to set the fence back farther. See, the thing is, this world, God says, belongs to Satan. Right now, he's in control of a lot of things that goes on. And I want you to understand, if you, when you, when you don't decide to move and climb out and get going, the thing is, the fence still sits on Satan's property. Even if you start to just move a little bit, you have to start doing something seriously for God to really break out and do something and, and grow in your faith and challenge yourself and, and be who God, really Christ wanted you to be. So I just really want you to, to get this, to grasp it, 
I want you to understand that fence trail is not going to work. Church in itself is not going to work. It didn't in 1874, and it isn't in 2008, like I said. I'm going to put this whole entire um, Charles Spurgeon um, sermon up on the bulletin board out there. If you ever get some time, read it. Read it. It's awesome. There's way more there besides what I read to you. But, I mean, there's somebody who had passion, and it's the people that I honestly think that God calls us to be today. It's not, Charles Spurgeon just didn't live and die, and that's it. There's probably some Charles Spurgeons out there. There's these people who are going to do great things for God if you would just own it and do it, you know? So let me pray for you, and then we'll dismiss. Lord, I just thank you for just your willingness to die on the cross for us, Lord, for paying the price, Lord. I just thank you, Father, that you love us, and Lord, you give us opportunity to either accept or deny you. I just pray to Jesus that tonight would be a night, Lord, where people would stop and think, about who they are in you, and, and, Lord, they would make that decision. I just pray, Jesus, that you would just help them, Lord, to uh, be drawn to you and, and help them and their families, Lord. Help them to, if they really do believe it, to start standing up for it and to pull away from what the uh, crowd's offering them. I just pray, Jesus, that you would just help them to grow and, and Lord, just really help them to uh, just be challenged in their faith and, and do better and, and not just play church but actually be Uh, be the church, be the people who really do love you and serve you. I just thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in their lives, and I just praise you for that. And Lord, go home with each person that's here, go home with their family. I just pray that you would just uh, protect them, guard them, and we just ask, Father, that you would just help them to make the decision to follow you. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you've never accepted him as your Savior, I beg you, to come forward, talk to somebody that's been up on the stage or somebody else that's in leadership. Tell them that's something that you've never done, you've never made a decision. If it's something that you honestly just really want to do on your own, you can do it. You don't have to come up and tell somebody. You really honestly can do it at home. You can just simple, simple prayer of your own. But um, you know what? Tell somebody when you've done it. Tell somebody when you've accepted Jesus because you know what? That is that point when people are going to be able to surround you and help you and really guard you and, and make you help you to find good decisions and good people and and support you like really what you need at that time so thanks for coming stick around for the theater if you can okay